The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Dub, that's a hell of a Dub. That's a hell of a Dub. Every time they count us out, we keep putting Going too far to think about, but today, man, it feels spectacular. It feels phenomenal. It feels super califragilisticexpialidocious. Hey, hey, shout out to the whole line. Shout out, shout out to the whole line. Shout out to Kenny P right here. Y'all see this rookie serving, man. He's staying, have a good composure. He doing his Dougie. Shout out to, shout out to my man Kenny. Shout out to Mike T, man. Hey, shout out to the Bay. <laughs> Happy New Year to everybody out there. It is 2023. It is PFT Live, the first show of the year, the 17th Sunday of the 2022-2023 season is now over one week to go. Miles Simmons is back. We didn't have a show last Monday, so it's the first time we've done this in a couple weeks, although we did have to do an emergency PFT PM last Monday after the firing of Nathaniel Hackett. Welcome back, Miles. Happy New Year to you. Hello, Mike. Happy New Year to you as well. Yeah, we got a, a, just another day to say that, right? I'm, I'm sure you've seen the Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm clip where this is three days for Happy New Year. Now, this is good this year because everybody was, you know, at home Sunday. People aren't really working today except for us. And then tomorrow they'll be back at work. So that's a good three days. And that means no more Happy New Year after Tuesday. Well, first of all, that's a line that goes back to Seinfeld, which if you haven't heard Larry David co-created where there was a comment by Jerry about getting happy new year in February and Rob stats Guerrero, who once produced this program would get very irritated by any happy new years after January one. So Matt Casey coordinating producer of this program and I will routinely, even to this day, still text stats happy new year randomly throughout the month of january because we know it 
pisses him off. The other thing that pisses me off is the whole compulsion to have New Year's resolutions. We were talking about this very briefly before we yeah. came on the air. The whole concept of the New Year's resolution, as if you don't already feel badly enough about your own failure to be who it is you aspire to be. Let's go ahead and set an unrealistic bar about some change you're going to make about yourself entering the new year so you can disappoint yourself quickly and immediately as the new year begins. I hate New Year's resolutions, Miles. I, I don't really like them either. I don't do them. I don't remember the last time I really set a New Year's resolution because, you know, if you're going to change something about yourself, just do it. Why, why do you need it to start on January 1st of a new year? You know, it's like people, they start going to the gym. Back when I used to leave the house to go work out, we call them resolutionists. And by, you know, January 25th, they start to pull back a little bit and you get the gym to the people who are regular gym users and not the resolutionists that come in and then they use the machines. They don't know how to use them and all that. It's just, just, why, why do you need a resolution? Wow. Wow. That's, that's a very humble way to say I go to the gym on a regular basis. I'm one of the ones (laughs) that don't like going to the gym in January with all the people who quit coming to the gym. Unlike me, I keep going to the gym all year long, but I hear what you're saying. Like, why do you have to wait until January one diet starts tomorrow? No diet starts today. Workout plan starts today. Why load yourself up with stress about something you're not going to stick with? That's my point. Although I will say this. I will say this. The only New Year's resolution that I ever made and stuck with happened about what year is it now? 2023. It was about 19 years ago. It was about, I had to stop and think. It was, well, you know, you always have that thing when the year flips and like you're writing checks. Anybody out there that still writes checks, although I don't think many people do, you always screw up the year for about two yes. or three weeks until you accept the fact that it is a, a different year and you have to change that number. It's been about 19 years since I realized, Miles, and this is very pertinent to you given your current employment status. I realized in 2004. I think the turning of the year then I said to myself, and now this was a long time ago. You were 12, right? Not even 12. You were 11 going on 12. That's how long ago it was. I decided that if this stupid little football blog that I had founded November 1, 2001 was ever going to be anything, I would have to have updates Every single day with hashtag no days off. Now, it was a one-man operation at the time. And so that was a big deal. I I would not update on the weekends during football season for crying out loud. I mean, seriously, because I could see that people weren't paying attention on Saturday and Sunday. It was a workday thing. That's when the traffic was was most significant. And, I mean, I was working full-time. Like, I can't do this nonstop. I have to have a life. I decided I have to give my life over to this thing and my law practice. It's like, I have to do it every single day. I have to do it every single day. So that was the one new year's resolution that I stuck with ever since I have worked on PFT every single day since January one of 2004. So some new year's resolutions can lead to something. I don't know what this is, but it's something. I think it's a pretty successful business. And I think that you're right. It does affect my employment status. So tip of the cap for you for uh, that one, because uh, yeah, that from 19 years ago, I like that. You know, I like that, that, uh, that resolution. It's great. Tip of the big ass hat 
for that yeah, one. Right. Jair Alexander <laughs> taking over the Brian Robinson gigantic hat that looks fake. It looks CGI'd. That hat is so, so big. Funny. It's like some illusion, right? <laughs> it's like there's a magician somewhere making that thing stay on his head. But anyway, uh, we digress. But Happy New Year to everyone out there. So I guess the message is don't make New Year's resolutions unless you're going to make a really big one you're going to stick with for 20 years that's going to change your life. That's the only one we recommend, although you never know when that one may be lurking. So maybe you should go ahead and make some New Year's resolutions. All right. One New Year's resolution you should make is to never doubt Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers because the Packers, after being left for dead, I remember that Thursday night game against the Titans, where they just looked awful, and Aaron Rodgers missed Sammy Watkins. He missed Alan Lazard. They were booing him at Lambeau Field. Not the team. Him. They've turned it around since then. Titans haven't won a game since that night. The Packers yeah. are right back in the mix. Here he is after the Packers destroyed the Vikings yesterday, 41-17, to talking about all the non-believers out there. How dare you point out we stink when we stunk? Here's Rodgers getting a little slice of revenge pie i know not many people in that locker room and definitely not many of you people uh believe we'd be sitting here at eight and eight with control our own destiny going into week 18 pretty special around any corner within every battle and with the dawn of each new day the threat of the unexpected the unpredictable and the unrelenting lies in wait but marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos no matter the battlefield marines adapt to win defeating every shifting threat protecting our nation's future the few the proud the marines the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. You know, I, I, I always get, and this isn't because people say, oh, you just hate Aaron Rodgers. First of all, I would like to say this. It looks like George Costanza stretched out the neck hole on the shirt that he was wearing at his postgame press conference. And he oh, finally has ditched the black. Maybe he decided I'm going to wear black until we get to 500. And then I'm going <laughs> to wear my shirt of which George Costanza stretched out the, the neck hole. Uh, but, but, but regardless, regardless, the all black is gone. The black robe is gone. The black hat is gone. There's some significance to all of that. Whatever it was, it's gone. <laughs> He's no longer going to a funeral. The funeral is yours. Um, I, look, Miles, I, I, he can't. He's not going to escape this scrutiny from me. They would have been better. 
than 500. They would have been better than 8-8 eight and eight if he had bothered to show his appreciation for the $50 million per year he's now making from the Packers by showing up to help his young receivers get more comfortable sooner than when they finally did during the season. It's on him that they're not better than 8-8. Eight and eight. And the louder he tries to act all huffy, oh, you didn't believe in us, I'll say I believed in you and I would have believed in you a lot sooner if you'd have bothered to help your young receivers feel better about where they are and what they're doing by not being so aloof and standoffish and absent when you should have been there to help them feel more comfortable. So if Aaron's going to start this crap, I'm going to give it right back to him and turn it around on him. You'd be 12-4, and 11-5, and 10-6 right now if you'd have been there earlier for your teammates. Boom. Well, the, it, okay. You done? I just want to make sure now because you know, you, you're – We good? You know what? Let me say something else. Let me say something else. We, we got a fancy That's coffee machine. Sure. We got an espresso machine. Our nieces got us this fancy coffee machine, and I've been uh-huh. drinking a lot of it, so I'm kind of wired. So that's my excuse. I, had, oh, I usually why. don't have anything before the show. I had one. I'm feeling it. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, I, I mean, I think that we've said this a lot, you know, and not to beat the dead horse of uh, Matt Ryan, but beat look, it. it's just one of those things where uh-huh. if you look at Patrick Mahomes <laughs> and you see what they are, and they're 13 and three. And then you look at the Packers and where they are and what were we saying throughout the offseason? Look, Patrick Mahomes brought all of his receivers to Texas, right? He was getting comfortable with them. And why are the uh, are the Chiefs the way that they are? Well, because that that's just what he did. And so when Aaron Rodgers is now saying like, oh, man, all you guys didn't believe in us. Like, of course we didn't believe in you. You were four and eight. Uh, it, it's one of those things where players like to talk about, oh, the narrative this, the narrative that. But we're only talking about and reacting to what we see on the field. So if they had been playing better than a four and eight team, then we would have said better things about them. Right. I mean, even when they played the bills and they were running the ball, you know, and it looked like, okay, this is something that maybe they can start turning things around. And then they went out and they kept losing. And I was like, all right, well, maybe not. So, you know, all we do is react to things that we see and they've been playing a lot better and now they do control their own outcome uh, when it comes to the playoffs. So good for them, good for Aaron Rodgers, but it's not like we were saying things that weren't true about the Packers, not just from his standpoint, but also from a defensive standpoint too. They were a bad defense. Joe Barry and that group has turned things around. Yeah, I mean, they shredded the Vikings yesterday. Now look, it was one of those games where a lot of the bounces of the ball went the Packers way early and it, contributed to this avalanche that ultimately happened. But still, after the block punt early in the game, the defense stiffens and turns a touchdown, a presumed touchdown, into a field goal. That changes the vibe. And then they just started making things happen. The kick return for a touchdown right after that, 7-3, all of a sudden feeling better about themselves. That changes everything. It should have been 7-0 Vikings, and then the kickoff return. You don't know when a kickoff return is going to pop. It pops. It goes. Just as people are saying, boy, Rich Bisaccia really helped the Green Bay Packers special teams thanks to the block punt. There goes the kickoff to the house. And then there was an interception return for a touchdown on a batted ball on fourth and, and short for the Vikings. Uh, that you know, it just felt like early on the Vikings were doing their damnedest to make it a game, but the Packers capitalized on stuff happens type plays, and it was seventeen three before you know it, 
And it just, yeah, again, the Vikings didn't give up, but they just couldn't get it going. And they couldn't get Justin Jefferson going. You know, i got to give J.R. Alexander credit. I thought he was poking the bear. He kept poking the bear. He's gritting in front of the bear. He's doing all sorts of stuff. And they, one catch for 15 yards, that was it for Justin Jefferson. Now, now, I, I, I do want to say this. They doubled Justin Jefferson a lot. There's the one where they hit the gritty, but you saw some help come over at the end. They doubled him as much as he's been doubled all year. They took him away. They committed the resources to shutting him down. But, you know, at the same time, the the Vikings couldn't get – and then there's a little problem there, slamming the helmet off and hitting the official. That's uh, that that, – you may get a letter from the league office over that one. But you know what? When you take away the best player on the field with double teams, you you got to pivot to somebody else. You got to take advantage of that. That's on the Vikings offense. It's on the head coach Kevin O'Connell. It's on the quarterback Kirk Cousins to not you know to not take advantage of the opening. It's necessarily there if you're going to commit extra resources to taking away one guy. Well, right. But I mean, shouldn't all teams do that? You know, all teams, different teams are going to be more successful at that than others. But when Justin Jefferson is potentially going to set a receiving record, then yeah, that's what you need to do. You have to take him away in order to make the Vikings do something that they probably don't want to do, which is go away from him. I mean, it's not like they don't have other talented players. You know, Adam Thielen's really talented. TJ Hawkinson has been great for them. Dalvin Cook is really good for them running the ball and he can catch the ball. But yeah, when you only have one catch for 15 yards, then yeah, Jair Alexander, you gritty all over the field. I thought it was a little premature grittyation when you're doing that in the first quarter. But you know what? Jair Alexander backed it up. He did. And he said after the game that, you know, some of his coaches weren't really happy about his comments during the week. But when you walk the walk after you talk the talk, man, you get to do whatever you want. That's a great job by him. And look, the other reality is that they still haven't punched their ticket to the playoffs. It's feeling presumed that the Packers are going to get it done because all they have to do is win. It's amazing. Right. At one point when Steve Kornacki was on Football Night in America with the playoff percentages, the Packers had a 1% shot. And they've been threading the needle week after week, and things have been falling their way week after week. I mean, even though Aaron Rodgers can get huffy now about the Packers getting back to 8-8, eight and eight, without a couple of collapses by the Seahawks and the Commanders, who are off the graphic now. They're done. They're dead. They lost at home to your Cleveland Browns on Sunday, and that put the fork in Ron Rivera's commanders. Uh, Without those collapses, the Packers are done right now. So they needed help. They got help, and now all they have to do is help themselves against the Detroit Lions, the kneecap feasters who uh, may be visiting Lambeau Field next Sunday night. We don't know. The final game, game 272, we thought it was going to be Jaguars hosting the Titans for the AFC South. That's now the Saturday night game. Many believe the Sunday night game will be Lions and Packers, which becomes irrelevant to the Lions if the Seahawks beat the Rams earlier in the day, which, I mean, some would say, well, what's the motivation for the Lions at that point? Well, they still are kneecap biters, and they'd still like to finish the season on a high note, and they'd love to take out the Green Bay Packers if they could at Lambeau Field and knock them out of the playoffs. So there'll still be some motivation there, although not nearly as much if the Lions 
are still alive if the Rams somehow beat the Seahawks, which uh, many people assume will be unlikely. So as it lines up right now, I think they're getting in. I think the Packers are getting in. And, oh, by the way, as it currently sits, they'd have to go to San Francisco. And we, we've seen this movie a few times the past few years, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers going to San Francisco. It doesn't end well for the Packers. So all of this may be a prelude to the 49ers beating the Packers 42-10, to 10, but still – the Packers are alive at a time when very few thought they would be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, and you know, you got to credit them for sticking with it. Credit Matt LaFleur, who I think has done as good a job as anybody with that team, you know, and making sure that they stay competitive. Um, but it, it does feel, it, it feels weird to, to say all this about Aaron Rodgers based on the things that were going on with that team during this season. Right. I mean, it's not like we were burying them for no reason. Aaron Rodgers looked bad. He, he was missing throws that he just hadn't missed before. You know, he didn't show chemistry with his receivers. And that's just not necessarily something that we're used to seeing out of him, especially considering the chemistry that he and Devontae Adams had. So I, I think it's great now, probably for the league, that Aaron Rodgers has a chance to make it to the postseason. But, but even if they do make it to the postseason, who knows what kind of noise they're actually going to be able to make. And what I said before the season, and I tweeted this within the last week or two, and people who I would assume are smarter than that, I mean, I got—I know I'm going to get dragged when I tweet something like, the Packers are more dangerous as a seven seed than they are as a one seed. And you get people saying, it's always better to be the one seed. You're an idiot. Shut up. Delete your account. Like, come on, man. Understand the point. When you're the one seed, there's more pressure on you. There's a higher expectation. You're more likely to be tight. You're more likely to be nervous. You're more likely to lose sometimes than if you go in with the attitude of, we don't care. We're not supposed to be here. We're going to prove it to you. And if we don't, so what? We're supposed to lose anyway. And when have the Packers won the Super Bowl in the past 20 years? They've won it when they were... The sixth seed, the last team in, they went on the road. They beat the Eagles. They blew out the Falcons, who were the number one seed and had everything to lose. They beat them like 48-20 to 20 on their own field on a Saturday night, and then they won at Chicago, and then they won the Super Bowl. What have we seen them do as the one seed? They haven't gotten to the Super Bowl as the one seed, and they've been the one seed at least three times in the past 10 years or so, starting with 2011 when they were the reigning Super Bowl champions and got shredded by the Giants with that Hail Mary to Hakeem Nix at the end of the half. So there is value. If you can work it this way in just getting in, you develop a mindset that's very dangerous to the other teams in the playoff field. So, yeah, I said it back in June or July. The Packers would be better off getting in as a low seed than going in with that weight of the world on their shoulders as a one seed because Aaron Rodgers has this thing about him when they're the one seed where he's, he's all of a sudden more careful He's more tenuous. He's more cautious about letting it rip. Maybe if they get in this year as the seventh seed, he goes to San Francisco, if that's where they go, and lets it rip. And that's good for everybody if that's what happens. That, that's the point I made back then. I made that point not long ago on Twitter, and I'm making it now. They're going to be better off in the playoffs as a low seed than a high seed because they're going to be more free in how they approach the game. Maybe. I mean, I, I understand your point, but I think it's uh, well, uh, the, the way this is team it better is to play at home. Yes. Is it better to play at home? Yes. yes and if they can get home is. games in the playoffs this year, 
great, given where they are right but now. They can't. But my point is, when you have this great wire-to-wire season, I, I know. there's so much to lose when the playoffs finally come around that it becomes a burden. There's no burden on them if they get in as a seven seed. That's the point. Psychologically, there's no burden on them to justify 13-3. and three. Right. Yes. It, it's, it's a different kind of thing. I mean, we haven't seen them playing from this particular standpoint, right, with their backs kind of against the wall and totally free and easy or whatever you want to call it. It's like, okay, we have nothing to lose. We're going to go out there and play like this, you know, since Matt LaFleur has been the head coach. And they've been 13 and 3, 13 and 3, 13 and 4, I think it was last year, right? So yes. uh, this is a different way of playing for them. And now you may have a different outcome because you are playing with a different kind of attitude, right? You're, you're, you're not necessarily playing not to lose, which is, I think, the point that you're trying to make, right? Right. Right, exactly. And look, when I made yeah. that point, one of the points that people made who I would like to think are smarter than that, but maybe they okay. aren't, was – and I'm going to do your thing here. No, no New Year's yeah. resolution to not do your thing. The entire team is different since 2010. Everyone's different. It's a different coaching staff. <laughs> well, it's the same quarterback. It's the same guy pulling the trigger on whether he's going to try to thread the needle 30 yards down the field or he's going to take the safer dump off short or he's going to hold the ball just a little bit too long and maybe get sacked. The guy who is running the show is the same as the guy who was running the show back in 2010 when they went on the road three times and won, which is what they're going to have to do this year if they get in. There is value in that. There is familiarity in that. There is a poetry in that. As Aaron Rodgers feels his career pulling into the station, he's going to think back to the year that established him as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. 2008, 2009, they got to the playoffs and lost in the wild card round in a crazy overtime game to the Cardinals. 2010 is when he came of age when he became Aaron Rodgers in that playoff run. You, you, there's value in that. Going back to no. the future, a movie that you oh, still boy. continue to not be familiar with. So yeah. I, I think they will be potentially somewhere. dangerous. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's on, it's, it's on all the time somewhere. You just need to watch yeah. it. You had a couple of cross-country flights, and you continue to refuse to. And that's okay. If you want to deprive yourself of something that you would enjoy if you watched it, that's fine. That's your business, not mine. All right. Let's move on because we got other games to talk about. Because if the Packers get in, they most likely will have to go back to their own personal house of horrors in Santa Clara, California, where the 49ers play at home. They didn't play at home yesterday, but they still got it done. And this was one of those, well, you know, as the 49ers are rolling, we just assume they're going to destroy everybody. And anybody that was in a fantasy league playoff or championship game yesterday, the 49ers defense was feeling pretty good because Derek Carr had been sent to the glue factory by Josh McDaniels. In came Jared Stidham. What's he going to do against the 49ers? This is going to be a long, miserable day. Well, Stidham and the Raiders had a little surprise for the 49ers. Devontae Adams helped contribute to that surprise. It ended up being one of the great games of the day. 37-34 overtime win for the 49ers. Uh, ninth straight win. Not a blowout. Not dominant. But they get it done. And you know what? Maybe the Packers won't go to Santa Clara in the first round of the playoffs because the 49ers could still end up being the one seed. If the Eagles lose to the Giants and the 49ers beat let me see who they're playing here. The Cardinals next week. Yeah. The 49ers will be a one seed. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it could play out that way, but I mean, with the Giants locked into the sixth seed, it's kind of like, well, the Eagles have motivation to win that game, but the Giants really don't. So we'll see. I mean, anything can happen. I certainly didn't see uh, the Saints beating the Eagles yesterday. But I mean, one of the interesting things to me, excuse me, about um, the 49ers yesterday is, you know, Brock Purdy was good, obviously, coming into that game. And then, you know, he played a little bit well, and then he had some lulls there where you're like, uh-oh, I mean, this guy is finally starting to look like a rookie quarterback, and you don't really expect to see that against a Raiders defense that has been very bad throughout the course of the 2022 season. So he was able to recover from that. I mean, got some things going to Brandon Ayuk at the end of the game, and that's really why they won. And honestly, I think that that could be one of these things that helps propel Brock Purdy to a level where he can really get them to the Super Bowl because they hadn't really faced that much adversity with him as the QB. I mean, when you've got a defense that's that good, all you got to do is kind of protect things and make sure that you're going to be all right. And Kyle Shanahan's offense is obviously very quarterback friendly, but when you really have to make some big time throws, and I mean, this thing was like up and as a prayer, and that could have ended really, really poorly, and he got them in position to win at the end of regulation. I think that tells you a lot about where Brock Purdy is and how he really has solidified himself as a quarterback despite being a seventh-round rookie. I still see random comments, again, from people who should know better that Jimmy Garoppolo's in a great position. He could come back and lead a Super Bowl team. That doesn't make any sense. And he's going to be a free agent. No, if they get to the Super Bowl with Brock Purdy, they're not going to sit Brock Purdy on the bench. Have you lost your damn mind? Uh, Brock Purdy will continue to drive the bus if they keep winning. They're not going to say, oh, Jimmy's back. Whoa, whoa, thank God. Let's get rid of Brock Purdy before it all falls apart. No, it's doing the opposite of falling apart. He keeps winning. They keep thriving, although they were not dominant. And here's a, let's listen a little bit to the head coach of the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, on Brock Purdy's performance, dealing with adversity and getting the win that they should have had much more easily in overtime. What Brock's doing is real. I mean, he's a talented guy who's very tough. Um, and when he does make mistakes, he understands why. And then he tries to learn from them. Um, he doesn't have a ton of experience in this league and playing. So every time he goes out there, um, whether it is good or bad, I feel like when you when you got the skill set and um, you play the game the right way, he's only going to get better from it. So there's a number of situations that happen today that he didn't get in his other four games. And, yes, I do think that helps. You know, that's not great lighting for Kyle Shanahan, but good Lord, he's aging like a president as the coach of that team. Even when things are going well, there is a lot of stress to be the head coach of the 49ers because you never oh, know when Sean one McVay. of your key players Jeez. is going to get injured. Because they, they go out, well, you know what? It's funny now what you notice, like on social media, as the Rams are falling apart, when they use a photo of McVay for the graphic, they find the most unflattering photos possible to make him look completely miserable. Now that they've lost 11 games, I digress. Uh, the 49ers are a team that will continue to be very dangerous, but they are a stressful team to follow because of the fact, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, that the Broncos ownership seems to be very self-aware of injuries and that it's not just stuff happens. And teams have had clusters of injuries in recent years. And what do you do about it? And the person I was talking to mentioned the 49ers. I said, you know, the problem with the 49ers, it's not that they've got bad training, bad flexibility, bad nutrition. They just roll out of bed and they run through a wall. 
And yeah. sometimes the wall wins. And that's the big concern about the 49ers. That's the one thing that will continue to threaten to keep them out of the Super Bowl. Having a key injury to a key player and not having that player available for one of these games that's looming against the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Packers, whoever. But I still believe the 49ers are the best team in the NFL right now, even though they didn't win easily yesterday and the bills may make me feel differently tonight if they go in and blow out the Bengals. who knows or if the Bengals blow out the bills i may feel like the Bengals are the best team right now in the nfl but you know the the best teams the teams at the top didn't have an easy go of it january 1 2023 chiefs struggled with the broncos raiders struggled with the or excuse me 49ers struggled with the raiders and the eagles lost at home to the saints so um who, who knows who's the best right now but it just shows you that this league is crazy. We just assume things are going to go a certain way when the playoffs roll around. There's going to be some disruptive teams. And, you know, one or more of these great teams could end up getting bounced early, especially if they have a weird day like we saw the 49ers have yesterday. Yeah, it's true. I mean, in regards to injuries in the 49ers, I mean, one of the things that's going to help them, obviously, is getting Debo Samuel back. And he returned to practice last week. So that's a good sign for them. Who knows how many snaps, if any, he's going to play against the Cardinals. But getting him healthy is just another dimension to that offense. And when you have Christian McCaffrey playing as he's playing, and he had, you know, something like 150-plus yards from scrimmage yesterday. I don't quite know exactly what it was offhand. But when he's running like he's running and making catches and making plays the way he does, I mean, that really, really adds a lot to what the 49ers can be. I mean, look, Christian McCaffrey was a mid-season addition for them, and it feels like he's been playing for that team. Look at the way he runs over a defender. Are you kidding me? But he feels like he's been playing for that team for years because he just fits exactly what they do so darn well, and he's so freaking talented. So, I mean, I think when you get Debo Samuel back, again, it adds another dimension to that offense. It takes more pressure off of Brock Purdy to have to make plays after plays after plays because he's got another guy he can distribute the ball to. The 49ers, I don't know if they are the best team in football right now for me. I think they're certainly up there. I would argue that the Bengals are. But, yeah, they're certainly going to be dangerous in January. Boy, 49ers-Bengals Super Bowl. That would be the third time those two franchises have crossed paths. They did it twice in the 80s before Miles was alive. But, yes, indeed, it did happen, Miles. (laughs) Twice. Twice with Joe Montana and the 49ers winning both games very close. The first one, not so memorable. The second one, extremely memorable. Super Bowl 23, I believe it was. 22 or 23? 22. God, 23. It was 23. It was Washington over the Broncos in 22. Anyway, Uh. anyway, two Super Bowls that did happen before you were born. Um, Jared Stidham, the guy that got thrust into the mix, the guy who was – clearly put on the field as a business decision by the Raiders. It wasn't aimed at trying to salvage the Raiders' playoff hopes by pivoting to Jarrett Stidham. And the Raiders got dragged a little bit yesterday on one of the pregame shows. I think it was Bill Cower who was apoplectic that the Raiders would fold the tents and bench Derek Carr while they still were alive mathematically for a playoff berth. Well, they're trying to avoid owing Derek Carr $40.4 million. And if he gets injured yesterday or this week coming up, and he can't pass a physical by three days after the Super Bowl. They owe him $40.4 million, period. That's why they did it. But, but to everyone's amazement, possibly including Jared Stidham himself, he went out and had a great showing. 23 for 35, 365 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. We were so worried about how Devontae Adams was going to react to the 
benching and exile of his close friend Derek Carr, the reason, one of the big reasons Devontae Adams handpicked the Raiders as his destination after eight years with Aaron Rodgers. Adams was incredible with 153 receiving yards and a couple of touchdowns, including that beauty toward the end of regulation. I, I, it's, it's what we did not expect. We did not expect the Raiders to rise up. Look at all that red at Allegiant Stadium. Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. those fans didn't expect to have an exciting game. Jared Stidham no. gave everyone an exciting game, Miles. Yeah, he sure did. I mean, credit to him. He, he was ready for his moment. And, you know, guys with the Raiders said it all week that they felt like he was ready and they knew that he understood the offense because he'd been with Josh McDaniels before. And so when you get your opportunity, right, what do you got to do? You got to kick down that damn door. And that's exactly what he did. So I, I thought it was interesting, though, that Devontae Adams said after the game, you know, yeah, everybody's shocked but us. You know, we knew that this would happen and da-da-da-da-da and you know, this is still my dream franchise, and I've now surpassed Tim Brown for most 100-yard uh, catching games in a single season and you know, surpassed single-season record for the Raiders as well um, for receiving yards. So it, it's one of those games where Jarrett Stidham really gives the Raiders brass something to think about, right? I mean, he's going to be a free agent. Presumably, the Raiders want to go out and get a new quarterback. But if they want to draft one, then they could sign Jarrett Stidham as one of those bridge guys and see what happens next year and probably feel all right about it. Well, that's what's amazing. There's already going to be, I think, unprecedented quarterback movement as it relates to veterans changing teams, whether it's via free agency, guys getting cut and becoming free agents like Derek Carr or trades like possibly Derek Carr. Although I, I know that I know that the. The reporters out there who are on pregame shows need to have a certain amount of Sunday splash reports. Yeah, okay, the Raiders are going to try to trade Derek Carr. They're not going to trade. They're not going to be able to trade Derek Carr. They're not going to be able to thread that needle, and Mark Davis is not going to want to go to bed every night for five weeks worrying that someone is going to do to Josh McDaniels what Josh McDaniels did to the Colts five years ago when there was an unofficial deal that when the time came to make it official, he said, oh, no, thank you. I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. They're going to have to cut him. Jared Stidham is now a guy who is rocketing toward unrestricted free agency. And and he is delivering. He's putting himself onto that list of available quarterbacks that teams are going to be evaluating and sifting through as they decide what they're going to do about their quarterback position. And, you know, we were texting about this last week on the PFT writer thread, the idea that there are fewer settled quarterback situations for teams in the NFL right now than unsettled. And yeah. as this offseason approaches, Jarrett Stidham now did enough in that one game to at least get people to go back and evaluate film of everything he's ever done preseason. Hell, all the way back to college. Let's see who Jarrett Stidham is. Let's see what he's about because we should take him seriously as an option for our team and it's going to be a buyer's market at quarterback this year it's going to be a, a game of musical chairs there's going to be guys out there looking around like the, the John Travolta gif of like what what happened to me it's all going to happen and now Jared Stidham is in that mix as well and he's he played his way into it yesterday against the best defense in the NFL yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, part of it is that he played that well against that particular defense, right? I mean, this is one of those defenses that has looked special throughout the course of the season. And the only team that's really given them true, true fits has been the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, the Chiefs kind of do that to everybody, except I guess the Denver Broncos. But 
I mean, when you look at then Jarrett Stidham <laughs> and that Raiders offense, I mean, that's not one that usually has been one to write home about, at least under Derek Carr. And now maybe that has to do with the fact that Stidham has that much more experience with Josh McDaniels than Derek Carr did. And you now Derek Carr has been in a lot of different offensive systems, and maybe this one just was not the quite right fit for him. I don't know. And I don't know how much of a real distraction it would have been for him to be on the sideline there. I mean, that's an entirely different discussion, I guess. But when you see what Stidham did yesterday, yeah, it, it does. It makes you go back. It makes you look and it makes you think about, okay, what could we actually get out of this guy and how could he possibly fit our system? Well, and he's a guy, depending upon what kind of offers he gets from another team, he's a guy who could be on your depth chart as your backup mm-hmm. if you would bring in Tom Brady or Jimmy Garoppolo or trade for Mac Jones, or Baker Mayfield, a guy that Josh McDaniels was very smitten with entering the 2018 draft, and a guy that Josh McDaniels had the best seat in the house to watch him do something magical on a Thursday night last month. McDaniels was the one who was on the wrong end of that thing that Baker Mayfield did that made us all lose our minds. For a Rams team that was already done to have that night, McDaniels was there to see it. So I think there's four guys that McDaniels is going to consider, and you can add Stidham into that mix, and maybe there's a way to keep Stidham and bring in somebody else with whom McDaniels is very familiar, and the Raiders all of a sudden have their quarterback position under control. And, uh, look, I, I don't know how big of a distraction Derek Carr would have been if he had actually been with the team and at the game, but it's clear that that relationship is over. And the main reason that I believe they're not going to be able to trade him is they have to get some cooperation from Carr to trade him. And why would Carr cooperate with them at this point? I know I wouldn't. Right. And I'm not going to criticize him if he doesn't. What he should say to the team is, and I wrote this yesterday, two things. One, cut me. Or two, my favorite line from Goodfellas, F you, pay me. Those are the options. Keep me on the roster and owe me $40.4 million fully guaranteed or cut me before that becomes vested. I'm not agreeing to a trade. I'm not agreeing to a restructured contract. You cut me or you pay me. That's it, and that's what he should do. And if he does anything less than that, Miles, he's a sucker. Well, I mean, look, I'll say this too, Mike. You know, a year ago, or no, it wasn't even a year ago, but months ago back when Derek Carr agreed to this contract extension, I sat in this chair And you were saying, you know, well, they have an out after the first year. And I'm like, well, why would they need to do that? Derek Carr's been good. You know, who's to say he's going to be bad? Like, I'm an idiot because look (laughs) at where we are and look at what they're going to have to do. So I think that this is one of those weird situations, right? And maybe it's not even that weird. I'll say this. I I don't really understand why it's a distraction for Derek Carr to be there. I mean, I don't know if he wanted to go home, the team wanted to send him home, he just agreed to it, whatever, whatever it happens to be. But if Matt Ryan can get benched twice and he's still there, you know, if Eli Manning can get benched and he is still a part of the team when he was on that really, really long streak, I, I don't, I don't really get it. You know, to me, it, Derek Carr, I would want to hear from Derek Carr. And if it were me, I, I would want to put my side of the narrative out there. It's like, I, I want to play. I don't necessarily want this to happen. I love the Raiders. I love this team. I understand what the business is, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish we'd heard Derek Carr say his piece and that, you know, he, he would have been there to support his team, but you know, I, it is what it is. I kind of thought that we'd have at some point this weekend, 
an exclusive, exclusive Derek Carr sit down with someone who would be very friendly to him and not ask him any tough questions and allow him to kind of speak his mind. And I won't be surprised if the week 18 pregame shows, because we'll have them on Saturday. There are two games. We'll have it on Sunday. Everybody's paying attention to the final week of the regular season. I'm going to go ahead and make my prediction now. There will be a hand-picked Derek Carr interview with someone who will kiss his ass, not ruffle his feathers, and let him speak his piece, maybe in his modified country accent, the same one that we hear from Aaron Rodgers from time to time, about what happened and there's no hard feelings and whatever, 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 whatever. I have a feeling that's coming up at some point. Maybe he's going to save it for the playoffs. I don't know, but I think it'll be this coming weekend. But but my advice to Derek Carr is very simple and it's very clear. You tell the Raiders, cut me or pay me. That's it. Nothing else. And if you do anything else, you're a sucker. And I'll say it. I'll say it if you do. I'll support you if you say cut me or pay me. And I'll call you a sucker if you do anything other than that. All right. Uh, everybody who thought the Eagles were going to win at home on Sunday against the Saints ended up being suckers, including me, because the Saints went in. And they took care of Philly. And I was texting with someone in the know about this yesterday before the game. And it's kind of like, you know, you never know which Saints team is going to show up. That's the problem. You think the Eagles are going to win, but you just don't know which Saints team you're going to get. And the Saints defensively are getting healthy enough to be pretty damn competitive. The problem is they got knocked out when the Packers won yesterday. They've got no chance at getting into the postseason. And maybe other teams in the NFC playoff field should be happy because when the Saints are healthy, they can be very good, especially defensively. And that that's what happened yesterday. You know, people are saying, well, this just shows how valuable Jalen Hurts is because Gardner Minshew stinks. Well, Gardner Minshew doesn't stink. Or Don't just assume Jalen Hurts would have rolled all over the Saints defense yesterday. The Saints may have handled him too. We don't know because we didn't get a chance to see the Saints defense against Jalen Hurts. Well, right, but I, I think the one thing that Jalen Hurts does bring that Gardner Minshew didn't bring yesterday is that running element. And we've seen the Eagles offense be that versatile where when the passing game is not necessarily working as well as you would like, then you get Jalen Hurts running the ball, you get Miles Sanders running the ball, and Gardner Minshew just doesn't necessarily bring that element. And you see he throws the pick six right there, and that effectively kind of takes the Eagles out of it and ends the game for him. So I, I think that's one thing that you could say would have been different with uh, Jalen Hurts in there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Gardner Minshew is bad. I think part of it is Gardner Minshew's the backup quarterback, and when you have your backup quarterback in there, it's going to limit you a little bit offensively. That's just inherent to any team playing its backup. Yeah, no, look, I agree with you. And they are better off with Jalen Hurts. There's a reason he's the starter. And uh, uh, But Minshew, flip side of Jarrett Stidham, Minshew closing out his rookie contract that began with two years in Jacksonville, and then he was traded last year to Philadelphia, and the Eagles were very strongly in having a quality backup quarterback, and Minshew, a guy who's surely being evaluated by other teams. You come out of yesterday thinking, Jarrett Stidham, Gardner Minshew, mm-hmm, yeah, maybe Jarrett Stidham's the guy we need to take a closer look at. So Minshew was in a position to do himself a real favor yesterday, being the quarterback of a team that locked up the number one seed, and they lost to the Saints, and uh, that's that. Here's Nick Sirianni, coach of the Eagles, from after the game on whether Jalen Hurts will be back for week 18 when they need to beat the Giants to lock up that one seed. He was close this week. Obviously, we'll take it one day at a time. Um, I mean, for me to say right now and today that, yeah, Jalen's playing or no, he's not playing, I don't think it's fair to, to anybody. Um, 
And so because so many things can happen in a week and we're, we're going to have to evaluate, we're going to have to see where he is, nothing changes in that mass uh, aspect of it. His health is the number one priority and not putting him in a position that, that is going to risk his health. Um, and so we'll evaluate that as the week goes. And, and um, obviously if he's ready to go, he'll play. Look, it's hard to tell what the Eagles are really thinking, and they were insisting both publicly and privately. They haven't thought about the permutations for Week 18. If we win and we're the one seed, do we sit Jalen Hurts even though it will be five weeks between meaningful games? If we lose, do we play him because we have to win that game in Week 18, yada, yada. And, you know, we started that clip. You got a little of the face-touching, nose-scratching by Nick Sirianni, which makes me wonder how much truth we're actually getting out of him. But that's one thing the Eagles have shown us under Nick Sirianni. They are very good at keeping the cards close to the vest. We really don't know what they're thinking. We don't know what they're planning. We don't know what they're going to do, and we'll find out when they do it. Yeah, they will, or we will, I should say. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, though. If you can get out to a lead and you're playing Jalen Hurts, and you can get out to a lead against the Giants, because as we mentioned before, they are locked into the sixth seed. How much are the Giants really going to want to get guys out there and get exposed them to potential injury? I don't know. But if you can get out to a lead in that game, then you might be able to pull things back and say, all right, well, we've been competitive. We've got ourselves in position to win. We can get the one seed. That's enough. That's all we need to do. I mean, I think that would be an ideal scenario because then you are giving Jalen Hurts those meaningful reps that he would not necessarily get. Otherwise, if you get the one seed until you know mid-January, or later January, I don't even know what the dates are anymore, man. I'm so messed up. But the other part of it is you don't want to expose him to further injury if you don't have to. So uh, there is a a kind of tightrope that they've got to walk here. And I think the Eagles can do that. I think Nick Sirianni's proven that he is a smart head coach. He understands his players. He understands how to motivate them. He understands how to get the best out of them. So I I don't know what they're going to do, but I I think that they're going to make the right decision for them because I I think I have confidence in Nick Sirianni to do that. I mean, this is like a a significant late-season storyline. The idea that the Eagles, who we had assumed for weeks would just coast into the number one seed, may blow it. They may blow the division title. They may be the team that draws the short straw of having to go to Tampa Bay and face the Buccaneers by the time it's all said and done. The red hot win when they must find the gas pedal just in the nick of time, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, Cowboys win, Eagles lose. Cowboys win the division. Eagles become the five seed and have to go to Tampa. Speaking of Tampa, we'll take a break, and when we return, both the Buccaneers and the Giants punched their playoff tickets. How did the Bucs do it? Tom freaking Brady. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Keep 
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.